Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We're spoiling you, America. Three good martinis, two days in a row. Jim calls this the good schadenfreude edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And, boy, he's not kidding. Uh, It was just a little bit after we finished recording yesterday that the news broke that uh, it wasn't just Mueller Report Day for the White House. It was also Avenatti Day. Uh, This is two different stories, really. The one with Nike is getting the most attention. CNBC, first of all, with the clip here, starting the story talking about Nike stock bouncing back up. But uh, hey, why was that stock bouncing back up, CNBC? Well, it turns out now that Michael Avenatti has been arrested. And among the charges that the U.S. uh, attorney for the Southern District of New York is levying or alleging is that on or about March 19th of this year, Michael Avenatti and a cooperating client met with attorneys for Nike and threatened to release damaging information regarding Nike if Nike did not agree to make multi-million dollar payments to Avenatti and this cooperating client and to make an additional one and a half million dollar payment to an individual Avenatti claimed to represent. What's interesting about this is in these allegations, the Southern District of New York and the U.S. Attorney also say that Avenatti stated with respect to his demands of payment that if those demands were not met, quote, I'll go take $10 billion off your client, Nike's market cap. I'm not expletiving around. Also CNBC, Avenatti also was separately charged in a second federal case in Los Angeles with embezzling a client's money, quote, in order to pay his own expenses and debts and those of his law firm and coffee company and of defrauding a bank in Mississippi. He faces almost 100 years in prison if convicted in both cases, as well as possible disbarment as a lawyer. I think that would be likely if he was convicted. Uh, Jim, this is a guy, of course, who whose legal expertise led to Stormy Daniels having to pay court fees for President Trump. Uh, you could certainly argue that he helped the uh, confirmation process of Brett Kavanaugh unintentionally. Uh, and now this mess. Uh, this guy's clearly got problems. But uh, the fact that this timed with the release of the Mueller report, which is mostly, if not entirely, good news for the president, uh, just amazing timing. You know, Greg, you can tell someone's having a really, really bad day when the sentence no, I mean the other indictment against you uh, gets tossed around. So let's but let's really put this in context because, yes, you mentioned all that other stuff. It is worth recalling that uh, uh, allegation of abuse against him. The prosecutors dropped the case, insufficient evidence. But it's been a rough stretch because you may recall a couple months ago he was kicked out of his office for unpaid rent. Uh, he is no longer representing Stormy Daniels. She got new representation. There was always this impression that something... Uh, so, so there has not been an amiable departure between the two of them. That something had gone wrong. He had cost her something in the neighborhood of three hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees when he brought up a uh, defamation of character case against Trump that did not go anywhere. Surprise, surprise. And a couple of days ago, there was this other weird item where, if you know Ken White, the the lawyer on on uh, Twitter who goes by Pope Hat. Uh, I've had days where he's really given me grief about stuff, and I've heard days where he, you know, he, he indisputably knows this stuff backwards and forwards, and he made some sort of comment about Avenatti. And Avenatti just apparently got onto this unbelievably lengthy diatribe against him on Twitter. The sort of thing where you're like, okay, like, you know, we've all seen people like, you know, say snarky or, or you, know, re- you know, snotty responses to someone. 
But Avenatti apparently just kept going and going and going. And then Ken White described someone who either Avenatti or a really brilliant impersonator calling him up at his office and then berating him for like 20 to 30 minutes nonstop on the phone. Um, this is not normal behavior. This is not someone. And what I really want to point to in, in the middle of all this, I mean, look, we kind of knew that Avenatti was this, you know, like if he did, if he existed in a novel or a movie, he's the kind of character Gilbert Gottfried probably would have played in the eighties. <laughs> I'm saying the president broke the law. That's what I'm saying. Okay. It's very simple. We have the, uh, and you just had the, the ambulance chasing lawyer, right? The, the the guy who was always, you know, looking for a case. The guy who was, you know, always self-promoting, loving the camera, always making these big, bold predictions and decisions and, you know, that may or may not pan out. Um, uh, and, and just, you know, the idea that, you know, and it's worth noting, there was not just one or two plays. CNN put them on, the, on TV. Somebody ran the numbers. And it was something like 70 times in two months. I mean, basically almost every day he was making an appearance on CNN at the height of the Stormy Daniels thing. Um, New York Magazine, Vogue send out Annie Leibovitz to take pictures of him and Stormy Daniels. Uh, and also, um, I believe it was Time Magazine, wrote a big kind of profile of him as a 2020 contender. Um, perhaps because he knew <laughs> that there were aspects of his past that would not uh, withstand public scrutiny, even in the era of Trump, um, that he just chose not to run for president. But I really do think that, you know, all of these institutions that even kind of flirted with the idea of, hmm, maybe Michael Avenatti is the kind of serious-minded individual this country needs to lead it into the future. You know, if, you had, if, that, thought, if that thought ever crossed your mind, I want you to stop Step away from the computer and just kind of like just uh, sit in the corner. You, you've got that coming. And I just just think about what you did. <laughs> think about what you did taking Michael Avenatti seriously as a presidential candidate. Right. Let's stop falling for these guys, America. Let's stop, you know, like, see these people for what they are. Not everybody has to run for president. I, I get fed up when senators and governors run for president. Never mind somebody who just happens to be on CNN a lot. So anyway, so there we are. It's um, it's just a delicious day. More and more, you know, it, it, there are times it feels like karma takes the wrong bus and takes a while to get here. But boy, when it arrives, it's at the wheel of that bus and just enjoys running somebody over. Two little uh, addenda here. First of all, uh, also TV commentator attorney Mark Garagos somehow rolled up in all of this. And he's the attorney for Jussie Smollett. So all of these things dovetailing together. <laughs> And then the the ratio of the day on Twitter, Chris Saliza of CNN, quote, Trump may have created the environment in which someone like Avenatti could be taken semi-seriously as a presidential candidate. But Avenatti's fall also proves there is only one Donald Trump out there. This from a guy who literally wrote a column saying uh, to take Avenatti seriously as a presidential candidate. And oh, by the way, as you mentioned, his network had him on at least an average of once a day for two months. Yeah, so Liza could say, look, I'm not the programming director. I don't book the guests. You know, it, it's possible that somebody at CNN looked at that and said, eh, I'm not comfortable with what's going on over here. But uh, look, Saliza, you're you're responsible for what you write. <laughs> Maybe you didn't write the headline or something. But uh, when you say, hey, it's time to write that serious piece about Michael Avenatti. Look, you've got nobody to blame but the man in the mirror. All right, let's move on to our second good shot in Freud, uh, Martini. Washington Post. House Democrats conceded Monday that the possibility of impeachment proceedings against President Trump is over. 
at least for now, marking a dramatic retreat in the wake of the conclusion by special counsel Robert S. Mueller III that Trump's campaign did not conspire with Russia in the 2016 election. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and members of her leadership team agreed in a Monday night huddle that the caucus needs to stop talking about collusion with Russia because it was distracting from their legislative agenda, according to three people in the meeting or familiar with the discussion. But, of course, uh, you still got these uh, committee leaders, Maxine Waters and Financial Services, Jerry Nadler, Judiciary, uh, Elijah Cummings, Oversight. Um, they're still beating the drum for the release of the full Mueller report, Jim, because they're somehow convinced that the uh, conclusions released in the letter from the attorney general are wildly different than what's actually in the report. So good news that they're, uh, the leadership seems to be headed back to reality, but I'll be waiting to see that the, uh, the caucus in its entirety actually follows that lead. Yeah, I, you know, look, what's changed between last week and now is that it was always going to be tough to get 67 votes. Some might argue impossible. But until we knew what was in the Mueller report, there was always that outside chance that Mueller was going to find some smoking gun that was going to make uh, a decent number of Republican senators say, whoa, OK, this is serious. We can't keep this guy uh, in the Oval Office. He's got to go. I'd support impeachment. I, I'm sure there are you know, House Democrats uh, uh, who are still going to attempt to impeach the you-know-what, as uh, one of them famously said right before being sworn into office. Um, I'm sure you'll hear a lot about the emoluments clause. I'm sure you'll hear a lot about the, the payments to Stormy Daniels or some. But as I've you know pointed out time and again, we haven't removed a president from from office uh, in our history. Nixon resigned. The impeachment effort against Clinton failed. Um, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to have a big, broad, bipartisan consensus. Okay, you know, you got to. Uh, you know, you, it, it's got to be something where you got a broad consensus. All right, there's no other option here. We got with this president has to be removed. And you're just not going to get that on foreign government staying at the Trump Hotel. You're just not going to get that over. Well, technically, the payment to Stormy Daniels should have been reported as an in-kind contribution. You know, I mean, like you, you, it's just not going to happen, guys. You have to get more serious about this. Um, now, obviously, I think there are a whole bunch of progressive grassroots who will not want to accept this decision from Pelosi. I think you're about to see something of a mini civil war in the Democratic ranks over this among those who still want to pursue this because they believe this is justified. They believe this is a, important to emphasize a message that Trump is unacceptable, that they reject the outcome of the 2016 election, and that this is um, this is part of their their Kyle Reese effort to undo, to go back in time and, and change history. Uh, they really believe there's this turning point in the in the story of America here and that it has to be undone at all costs. You know, the closer you get to 2020, the less likely this was to happen. Um, kind of fascinating to see Democrats still pushing for this. I think you're going to end up with a, uh, uh, a great deal of recrimination over this. Already Beto O'Rourke is in trouble because he said he knew without, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Trump had colluded with Russia. <laughs> You just want to send guys to the dictionary <laughs> say, well, go, go look up. You, you're using those words, but they don't mean what you think they do. You know, it's a bit like inconceivable. Did, uh, did Beto find some papers somebody left behind in an old West motel during his sojourn? I mean, how did he know beyond a shadow of a doubt? He's not even in Congress anymore. So to pick on another uh, potential Democratic presidential candidate, Joe Biden, Joe Biden used to say, literally, and, you know, of course, in many circumstances, you know, like, literally, there is no one in the Senate. Actually, no, Senator. <laughs> There's lots of people in, in the Senate. Um, or, or, you know, I'm not being facetious, folks. Um, now, what he, what he used the term literally to mean, I feel strongly about this. 
I my aim is to emphasize the words that I'm saying, you know, and as a result of that, you know, there's this great emphasis of, you know, literally, you know, um, now you and I will we'll call each other out if we use the term literally inappropriately <laughs> for something to be literally true. It has to be literally true. It has to actually be what you're describing. It cannot be any type of comic overstatement or something like that. My guess is that you know, when, when, when Bitter O'Rourke says, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Trump colluded with Russia, he does not mean that. <laughs> what he means is, I feel very strongly that I dislike Donald Trump so much, I think he must have done this because he's a bad person and someone who is bad would do something like this. Yeah, I mean, look, the other thing also is, I, I, I suppose it's, you know, Attorney General Barr, you know, shaded things a little bit this way or that way in, in the letter. We'll, we'll, we'll know in a little while when the... Uh, report gets released, as I mentioned yesterday, that why it's taking a couple of days is not surprising. They got to go through and ex- get, remove all the grand jury testimony. This is this is all in, in accordance with federal law. This is not something obscure or weird or hidden. And, you know, this is all pretty normal. We'll see how it shakes out. But uh, I don't think you're going to find the full text of the, the Mueller report all that different from what Barr said. If it does occur, then Barr will have enormous amounts of egg on his face. But uh Barr's a, Barr's a sharp guy. He's been around a long time. He's not going to make a rookie mistake like that. Jim, uh, it's encouraging that the Democratic leaders in the House can recognize reality. Um, you know who can't, apparently, are folks in the media literally an hour ago. Um, and that's the truth because it's an hour ago. I'm looking at my phone right now. Politico with this news alert. The possibility of a Republican Senate removing Trump from office is now further away than ever. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> that- <laughs> But it's like were, we're not giving up. It's t- it got tougher, but it might still yeah. happen. It, it was pretty unlikely before, and it's even more unlikely now. That's that's where we are. All right, let's go on to our final good shot and Freud martini for Tuesday, Jim. It's recrimination time. You've got folks absolutely lambasting the mainstream media, even a couple on the left, like Matt Taibbi, saying, "Man, guys, we really screwed this up." You've got the I told you so folks, uh, like the folks from the Federalist and and some other places saying uh, this never really had any there there. Um, and then there's the the former government officials who really stuck their neck out on a variety of things. And the one we're going to focus on here is former CIA director John Brennan. But there have clearly been others. Here's the, the evolution of John Brennan on this issue in uh, a f- fairly short period of time here. Here he is uh, backing up uh, calling President Trump a traitor on Meet the Press not too long ago. Do you regret essentially accusing the president of treason? Do you, do you regret some of the things you have said? Uh, I called his behavior treasonous, which is to betray one's trust and to aid and abet the enemy. And I stand very much by that uh, claim. You are the former CIA actions. director accusing the sitting president of the United States. It's not a private citizen. A lot of people hear the former CIA director accusing the sitting president of the United States of treason. That's that's, monum- that's a monumental accusation. Uh, well, I think these are abnormal times. Okay. Well, earlier this month, he somehow thought he had you know, the... You know, that's a monumental accusation. And yes, I believe that there should be a monument built to me. <laughs> that earlier this month, he's with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC talking about how he believed the indictments were coming down on Friday, March 8th for this really solid legal reason. Not knowing anything about it, but Friday is the day that the grand jury indictments come down. And also this Friday is better than next Friday because next Friday is the 15th of March, which is the Ides of March. And I don't think Robert Mueller will want to have that dramatic uh, flair of the Ides of March when he is going to be delivering what I think are going to be his indictments, the final indictments, as well as the report that he gives the attorney general. 
let's go to the final one now. This is yesterday, Joe Scarborough covering himself and trying to get an answer from John Brennan once the uh, report was clear through the bar letter that it did not turn up what Brennan kept telling us it would. I'm just curious, did you receive bad information throughout this process, like so many of us did, uh, that uh, there was more there than ended up in the report regarding collusion? Well, I don't know if I received bad information, but I think I suspected that there was more than there actually was. Um, and I, I am relieved that there w- it's been determined that there was not a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government um, over our election. Can you tell how thrilled he is, Jim, that there was uh, no conspiracy between Trump and the Russian government? Uh, what do you make of not only him, but uh, everybody with the egg on their face here? You know, Greg, I doubt I will ever have my own cable or regular network news show. But if I do... And I have a guest, even if it's a guest I respect a great deal. If they begin an answer by saying, not knowing anything about it. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Director. Thank you for being here. Now on to another topic you do know about. (laughs) Well, he's not going to not going to indict on the Ides of March, because as we all know, I mean, yeah, I know the reference, Julius Caesar. And, you know, I don't know about you, Greg. That's why I enjoy going to um, stunt shows uh, and, and things that are dangerous on that day, just to see if anything goes wrong. Because it's allegedly supposed to be a bad luck day, but no. <laughs> yeah, like, so we can make fun of these guys, and, and they do deserve a good chunk of mockery. But let me make one mildly serious point. Um, we've had a lot of FBI directors and CIA directors who have not agreed with presidents past and present. Um, Louis Free against Bill Clinton it was very clear that Free had a lot of beefs with Bill Clinton. Um, James Woolsey has not been quiet about his views on U.S. foreign policy topics. Uh, and stuff like that. So in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with a former CIA director or a former FBI director coming out and, and having political viewpoints. With that uh, in mind, most FBI directors, most retired CIA directors, you know, they, they set up a consulting firm. Maybe they teach somewhere, get started on their memoirs. They generally don't get that involved in partisan politics because they know they are the face. And, and even in retirement, they are the public face of institutions that need to be trusted by, if not all Americans, then as many Americans as possible. If you're a former FBI director, you can't get that involved in, in partisan politics. Same thing if you're a former CIA director. Traditionally, most of these guys have, again, occasionally exceptions here and there. But you never saw anything quite like what Brennan and Comey did, becoming the face of the resistance. Probably this will go away with time. But first of all, I think the argument that Brennan and Comey were much more partisan operators than, they, than anybody wanted to acknowledge during the second half of the Obama administration. I think there's a lot of evidence for that now. I think you can look at how they behave themselves. We're not used to see, and I wrote a big story on this, I believe it was last spring, and I spoke to a whole bunch of retired FBI officials, James Gagliano, who's on CNN a bunch of times, and most of these folks were fairly pro-Comey when he was director. Um, nobody had more than a more mixed reaction of that. None of them are, are you know, have an axe to grind or always had a beef with Comey or something. But all of them were kind of horrified by what they were seeing with Comey when he started hanging out with The View and appearing on Stephen Colbert's couch and joking around and, you know, the stuff that he was doing on social media, they're not used to seeing former FBI directors become the face of the resistance to a sitting president. A very similar situation with Brennan and everybody kind of figured, oh, okay, former FBI director, former CIA, these guys must know stuff that we don't know. They've got access to classified information that we're not going to have. And thus, if they're this vehemently against Trump, they must have seen something that freaks them out 
Trump must be as bad as everybody's saying, and there must be some other shoe that's going to drop. And here we are, and no shoe has dropped. And I don't think you can argue, oh, Brennan and Comey found stuff, but you know Mueller couldn't find it or something like that. That just doesn't hold water. So I think these guys have done real damage to a perception of law enforcement and intelligence being above politics and separate from partisan politics. You know, it, it's, uh, it's the, the kind of the sad thing. I'm glad these guys are getting tough questions. I'm glad that Jim Comey's social media is everybody's dunking on and making fun of it. By the way, we were having such a terrific couple of days here, Greg. It's worth noting, as we're having this conversation, yes. all, of the, all of the charges have been dropped against Jesse Smollett with no clear explanation. Wow. So, great news, everybody. Happy Friday. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of the another shoe dropping, so I'm trying to read the closed caption while you're talking about John Brennan. And you're re- if anyone's ever doubted that, uh, that Greg and I pay enormous attention to each other <laughs> while we're talking. But I'd like to thank the uh, the authorities of actually getting this in while we're recording, unlike yesterday when the Avenatti news broke shortly after we stopped recording. So it's really kind of them, although given all we had to say about the Mueller report yesterday, uh, if we had to talk about the Avenatti stuff, too, we might have gone on for an hour. So, uh, yeah. Dear legal system, pace yourself. <laughs> we only do three martinis a day. <laughs> oh, it's only Tuesday. Jim, talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.